It's the design of experience. Welcome to episode nine. Can't believe we've almost done a decalogue of episodes. I don't know if that's a word, but it's episode nine. And today we're going to talk about witty copywriting, faulty car electronics, the role of music in advertising, the smell of crayons, and cars that float. How can a brand redeem itself after a worldwide scandal? Can we forgive a brand? when it over-dramatizes a crisis it created. Today, we're gonna to talk about Volkswagen's evolution from the people's car to a major lifestyle brand. Hey guys, welcome to the Design of Experience, conversations about the ideas that make us feel a tribal devotion to the things we love. This week, we are going to take a little bit of a different approach. Um, we've had some ideas from our previous episodes, and if you remember, we talked about and mentioned Volkswagen in a previous episode. Volkswagen. Oh, is that you, Matt? Yes, I'm back. Matt is here, Steve. Oh, my. Volkswagen. <laughs> Volkswagen, Volkswagen. So we could not help but have Matt join us again. He's just a really pleasant character to have around. Not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. Um, so yeah, in our episode about transparency, we did bring up Volkswagen, and we talked about that um, that marketing campaign. You know, we were obsessed with the moon. Now we're obsessed with the earth, and we took a look at that cute little buzz, mm. the buzz bus, and we were just like, hey, what would it be like if instead of thinking about one element of the design of an experience? we instead took a look at how a whole brand evolves their brand experience. So this is going to be a little bit of a special episode, a little bit of a test of a different type of format. And we're going to dive into the brand of Volkswagen. And we're going to look at the experience of the brand through the lens of their advertising beginning in the 1950s. Um, before we jump in, Steve, can you um, tell us a little bit about some history about Volkswagen? Because I feel like there's so much that we don't know, or maybe that the common person does not know about the roots of Volkswagen. It's a fascinating brand, and really, I think, a fascinating story of brand transformation and brand redemption, mm -hmm. because they've had to overcome some serious hurdles to be a major North American automaker. Um, you know, they were started in the pre-war 30s, in Germany. You know, it was a state-sponsored effort. Uh, they were managed by the, whatever, the Nazi organization, the Deutsche Arbeitsfonds. <laughs> anyway, imagine Volkswagen. So during the war, they shut down the Volkswagen plant, turned it into a, a military deal, making military vehicles and airplanes and stuff. That's nothing new. We did that here, Ford Motor Company. Uh, their main plant was shut down, and they started manufacturing the B-24 Liberator, a bomber. You know, uh, so, but when the war was over, through a major part of the Marshall Plan, uh, Volkswagen was reinstated under the supervision of a British engineer, and the plant was reopened, and it was still very much the vision was a car for the people. And so, you know, that, that kind of effort was resurrected. Um, the design concept was so distinctive. The original Beetle design by a guy named uh, Alfred Porsche, who, you know, if you remember him. Was Sounds it Alfred? familiar. Do I have his first? Oh, sorry. No, he has a way better name than Alfred. His first name is Ferdinand. <laughs> 
Ferdinand Porsche. Uh, oh my gosh. Of Porsche fame. And um, so they, they had this distinctive design. And it's, I mean, can you think of, I mean, they've sold to date 21 and a half million beetles. Just beetles. Worldwide. Alone. Just bugs. You know, when is the last time, I'm going to quote a guy named Park Howell who has a podcast called uh, The Business of Story, and he made a point in a recent episode, shout out, uh, when is the last time you were bored into buying anything? Clearly, the Beetle was a distinctive design. It wasn't for everybody, um, and they didn't try to be for everybody. Um, and so that's where we, we thought maybe, well. And yet it is. <laughs> and yet it is the, the Volkswagen, <laughs> which means the car for the people. Okay, so never mind. <laughs> okay, but 21 and a half million is yeah. not everybody. Yeah, and it's a very idiosyncratic design. It I mean, is. Do you see round cars anymore? It was a very round car. The closest know? current version would be the new fiat that's out there yeah, exactly that looks like a bubble driving that thing around. is so cute there's one in my parking lot and i secretly want to pick it up and put it in my bag when we were kids me. we used to see a Volks, volkswagen beetle and steve and i would be like oh my god that's so cute <laughs> you're you're it's true you you and me or you yeah. and your brother no you and me yeah yeah <laughs> separate parts of the country didn't know each other but we Did like, you guys oh ever God. do the punch buggy thing? That made me punch so bad. You know, punch back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it was kind it was of brutal bad. if you were sitting next, if you were like Emily sitting next to an older brother right? Yeah. with big clunky yeah. brother hands punching her in the shoulder. Didn't appreciate it. So anyway, there's your beetle. <clears throat> the journey of figuring out how to sell mm-hmm. a German product in America mm-hmm. during the post-war years. How does that work? When yeah. we've been trained to believe that the Germans are the enemy, um, how, how do you then later overcome <laughs> however long years of cheating on emissions standards and lying about it and having to pay billions of dollars in damages? So they're, they're constantly having to reinvent themselves, and hmm. we find that to be an interesting journey. Can that bring us to about 1950? Because that's when some of those really neat kind of controversial even um, ads came in? Yeah, so, um, you know, the 1950s, this was a point of confusion for me. I thought it was Ogilvy, but it was an agency called Doyle Dane Bernbach, and uh, they borrowed some concepts from Ogilvy because Mm -hmm. Ogilvy was such a smart advertiser. And, you know, um, it was a simple ad, very simple photograph of the Beatle, the headline, Lemon. Wow. That's a strange way to sell a car. It right? is, yeah. And then the copy goes on to explain. And then the other one that was very iconic. And what did the copy explain, do you remember? Well, just what the car was and why you should want it. Um, but the other ad said, it will make your house look bigger. Which <laughs> I love just that one. took, uh, you know, the cars at the time were large. Everyone wanted bigger, better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volkswagen came out and said, here's an economical option. Smaller is better. And if you think back to the 50s, you know, the classic, like, American Chevy Bel Air, which was a ginormous car with huge fins on the back yep. and, you know, big rocket ship look about the headlights and all that. That is very, very right. interesting. It was such an economical car hmm. that the the first one my mother remembers driving around in, her brother owned it. It did not have a gas gauge. <laughs> So you just had to know how far you had driven 
and when you were going to run it. Did people think that car was cool, or did they see it as, like, mm, that's an economical car? Like, you know, right now when you see anything with econ, you're, like, economy right. level. You know, was it cool, or was there, like, a certain group of people that thought it was cool? I mean, my perception is it caught on, like, wildfire with alternative folk, also known as hippies. <laughs> you know, it was an iconic car, and it probably, because it was economical, people mm-hmm. could afford it. Yeah. I, I think know. the what economy think? of it was pretty big. I think there was also a tribe, yeah, um, and that's kind of what we're talking about, that mm-hmm. you know, bought into the vision of a very simple, small car that got you from A to B without any super frills. Um, my first car that I ever owned was a Beetle. Um, my wife went to kindergarten in a, in a 64 Robin's Egg Blue VW Bug. Of course, that makes sense because her name was Lutz and they were Germans. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. What's interesting is that the way you describe the release of the Beetle in the United States in the 50s is a very different feel to how it was released in the 90s, apparently, in the United States. Because the people that would have bought the Beetle at the time in the 50s are not the same people that would have bought it in the 90s here. Au contraire, mon frère. You think so? Yes. My perception was baby boomers could afford it. They wanted it. Nostalgia. People my age were like, yeah, I'd like that, but I can't afford that. So, um, but it is interesting to think how they've gone from being economical to, Mm -hmm. you know, like a cult favorite. Yeah, not the cheapest. Not the cheapest. Definitely still, there was an era in the 90s where everyone I knew had a a Jetta or a Golf, and uh, it was a major point of jealousy. So let's go forward two decades, 1972. There is a hilarious commercial. And this isn't in the, I mean, it's a little bit outrageous in their style of advertising, but there's this TV commercial where this guy basically is like, the the VW Beetle is so well made, it does this, this, and this, and he kind of touts about the design quality. And then he proceeds to drive the Beetle down a hill of dirt into some kind of reservoir or body of water and he just kind of he drives it straight into the water and then he just continues to float and yeah. he leans out the window and says like can your car do this and he's talking about how the beetle is totally sealed it's basically watertight mm-hmm. and it's such a funny advertisement because it's just so like yeah i think the guy's probably wearing like a maroon suit with a comb over <laughs> oh definitely and i think that's just an extension of that sense of humor yeah. that started in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But then I do think later on, now we'll get to the 90s, but after the 90s, mm-hmm. there's definitely a shift in the tone of the commercials. Yeah, yeah. But what about the 90s? Do you remember, Steve? It starts with an F. Uh, Farfignugen. Yes. Farfignugen. <laughs> Sorry, exactly. just another German word I want to say. But the whole, was it one commercial or a whole campaign? Oh, there were several commercials, but the one we watched the other day, Mm -hmm. uh, a well-to-do woman walks out of her apartment. It looks to be a European city, maybe London. She looks uh, suspiciously like Princess Diana. Oh, And as she walks towards the car, she throws her jewelry. um, Her mink coat. Her mink coat in the trash, and she's about to drop her keys into the gutter. She says, nope, gets in the car, turns it on, and everything's better. Farfig Nugan. 
It's what makes driving right. a Volkswagen yeah. or something or other. The I'm, pleasure of driving, pleasure supposedly, of driving. because German words are complicated, <laughs> and they're just different things to mash together. Farfignugen means the joy of driving. And that's what makes driving a Volkswagen yeah. a so Volkswagen. So is the driving part the Farfig or the Nugen? <laughs> you know? And which part is the joy? We have to imagine if we could just add Nugen to the end of different words, <laughs> you know? Like lunch a nugan. The pleasure of lunch. The pleasure of lunch. Yeah. Party nugan. What was that? Party nugan. To the joy of partying. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Um, and did that song that? I was just fact checking you, and it was the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It was reintroduced. They manufactured up through the late seventies. Mm-hmm. Took a break. Came back in the early nineties. Man, yeah. you guys are right. Yeah. And you know who? Uh, besides, the car was a hit with many buyers, notably Hillary, and then President Clinton mm-hmm. bought a redesigned Beetle for their daughter Chelsea. Interesting. Well, isn't so that special? Did that Farfig Nugent commercial have? I totally am blanking on whether or not it had a good soundtrack to it. Yes. What was the? I. Uh, it was a song by Prince. That's right. Yeah. And this which is which was kind of shocking. Um, the juxtaposition of this. You know Prince. Some of his songs are a bit, I don't know, edgy, mm-hmm. raunchy, mm-hmm. funky. <laughs> and then this proper, proper English woman mm-hmm. stepping out in her mink coat, and she throws it on the ground. Yeah. It's amazing juxtaposition of things going on there. Yeah. So, Just continuing their uh, track record for cool music of the time. And countercultural stuff, mm-hmm. because yeah. maybe at the time, you know, here's a proper woman of society who's walking out on everything, throwing her pearls in the trash, literally flinging her mink stole, and then getting rid of everything except her car. Yeah, which, which, by the way, was not a Bentley. It was a VW. It was a VW. Yeah, that is interesting. So, so I have to admit, 1990, this, our 1999 commercial is where I, this is my true first memory. I don't have memories of the other, the other ones. But the 1999 commercial is the one that stuck with me, and it is where they um, use Pink Moon as the soundtrack. And there is a group of young kids in a cabrio convertible driving through some, looks like some Pacific Northwest road. And they're just looking around. You barely even see the car. They're the just wind in their hair. The wind in their hair, stars in the sky, mm. quietly enjoying the drive. And they're just taken with all the nature around them. And then they pull up to a house, and you realize, oh, they were driving to a party, a house party. And there's kids just being ridiculous and kind of tripping over things. And everyone in the car looks at each other. And they all, without saying anything, agree to just keep driving. And they drive away. And that commercial not only made me become fascinated with Volkswagen, but it also started my interest in that type of music, kind of singer-songwriter folk-type music. Yeah. And you don't even realize that it's an ad for a Volkswagen until about the end, and they say something about and Cabrio and whatever. I, I feel like that kicked off a mm-hmm. revival with Nick Drake and mm-hmm. his music. Yes. It was the first time mm-hmm. I had ever heard it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know. Yeah. I said, oh, I need to go find that. Wait, we missed one, though. We did? The Da 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 song. We did. Yeah, when was that? I think 1990. No, 92 or 3, right? Okay. Well, we'll have to check on that. But it's two ordinary teenage, maybe college kids driving around 
looks like maybe they're driving around L.A., just random neighborhoods. Da, da, da. Da, da, da. Exactly. Wow, thank you guys for leaving me there. That was good. Thank you. I knew I was off key, so I stopped. And then they stop because they see a free chair, a poster chair. Like we saw at lunch today. Yeah. They pick it up, pop it in the back, because guess what? There's space. Yep. They drive a little longer, they stop, they put it back on the curb, because guess what? It smells. So, again, the humor, you know, there's this transition in the mm-hmm. 50s, 70s, lots of humor. Then that beautiful, idyllic one. Okay, sorry. So mm-hmm. if it was before the Cabrio commercial. It was that before. That makes sense. Definitely. But then they go into this thing where they're a little more reverential, a little mm-hmm. bit more about the experience. And this is an elevated experience of yes. driving, of mm-hmm. being a teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. also teenagers who have the means to drive a nice car up to what looks to be a very nice house party and they see all the mm-hmm. goings on and decide, no, we're no. just going to stay in our nice car and keep driving yeah. under the stars. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, that. that um, you know, that transition from economic, anybody can get this car and I, you mm-hmm. know, to um, the, this, this is a nice car you mm-hmm. want to have. And speaking uh, of that, of course, that's the whole industry kind of went that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, Picking up a thrift store couch is clearly directed at college <laughs> students or older who don't have any money. Interestingly, uh, there's a little bit of a parallel here between VW and Apple in the sense of that they created this niche through a lifestyle. And they also, in whenever you, when, if you have a VW, you're locked in to the VW world as far as maintenance goes, as far as anything is related to like accessories for your car, you have to stay in the VW world for that. And it's kind of similar how Apple does that too. They're very closed, very right. protective of everything. So kind of reminds me of like our tribe discussion and, and the means by which people, brands choose to either open or close different parts of their experience and keep a kind of a tight grip on things. Because people always say now, well, if you buy a VW, it's going to be nice, but, you know, the maintenance is going to be more expensive. Same thing for Apple products. They say that too. Yeah, the primary difference, I think, is that in the 90s, Apple products did not smell like a box of crayons. Uh, and at the time, you know, my brother had a Jetta. Every yeah. time he'd pick me up to go somewhere, I'd be like, man, what is with your car? And he actually said, I think someone left a box of crayons in the car. So and funny. then I Googled it, and apparently it has something to do with the way that they would spray the undercarriage hmm. with wax. And that weird. was that so that they could float in case you accidentally drove into a lake. They're well sealed. Well, I was going to ask you guys, in that commercial we talked about from 1972, the floating beetle, right. they showed you in that commercial because they picked up the front of the beetle with like a crane of some kind and they showed that the bottom was completely sealed. Yeah. Like nothing was exposed. But th- they're not still like that now. I don't know. Or maybe your brother's was. I still can't afford one. What I think is interesting, that you guys have mentioned this a few times, is that at some point, VW did transition from being an economic choice to a preferred tribe-type choice. And for me, growing up in the 90s, 
<clears throat> starting to form preferences about brands in the 2000s, I always viewed VW and Apple to be kind of coupled together for some mm-hmm. reason. And it was like, as far as my perception as a young person into something that was trendy and kind of hip, it'd be a young independent person post-college who had their own apartment, had Mac products, and owned a VW of any kind, probably like a Jetta or something like that. I think the golf Jetta is pretty cool. Golf, yeah. But I wanted to know if my perception of VW and how I perceived it growing up and the, ex- the brand experience that I had is the same as you guys, because I think we determined we have each have about a decade in between us. Mm-hmm. And I've always perceived VW to be just kind of higher end, not necessarily, I mean, it's, it, it wasn't luxury, but it was its own little thing. And I was like, that's the, that matches with what I would perceive that I would want mm-hmm. um, as a young professional. But that was like Nick, uh, Nick Drake Pink Moon was the first exposure I had. But what about you guys? Like, has your perception of the brand changed over time? Is it set from your first exposure to it? Mine, I feel like, has stayed the same. I still would like to have a VW. In my personal experience, it was interesting. My, my 1975 VW Bug was a car that just kept running no matter what. It would drive anywhere. We drove it across country. Uh, my college roommates and I, four of us in a VW Bug driving all night to Colorado, they actually closed I-70 because of a blizzard. And we were like, we're good. We can drive it. We got a, we got a Volkswagen. And um, anyway, but I remember, you know, when I started dating my now wife, Mary, she had to keep a pair of down booties on her side of the car because the heat was so bad. My side of the car would, like, blister your feet because it was so <laughs> hot. Her her side didn't work at all. Um, it was just, there was no fan. It just ran off engine heat. So it was kind of ingenious. Hmm. But like many Volkswagen features, great engine, crappy accessories. <laughs> and so that takes me fast forward to when I owned a, uh, a Passat. And, you know, right around 100,000 miles, everything started breaking. Like I would pull up to pay a toll and press the window the driver's side window and all four windows and the sunroof would open and then be stuck open and i would have to drive home in the dead of winter with all the windows open oh my gosh Um, i would you know try to turn on the cruise control and the sunroof would open it was just weird gremlins they were notorious for that and so i ended up just basically driving it to a carmax and saying please take this take this away um and my story was not unusual. Really? So I, I don't know. It's so weird that even back to the early non-electrical accoutrements versions of the VW Bug, like great engineering on the engine and drivetrain, crappy accessories. Hmm. Um, that's my that's my anecdotal. And that's experience. how you still. View and that's it why today. I yeah. That's why I never as a as a fully grown adult never really wanted one hmm. but i'm sure there's a lot of ew love out there and because we have millions of listeners we'll probably be flooded the servers <laughs> were, will be crashed with complaints <laughs> because we're kind of throwing shade on vw right now at least i am sorry yeah, yeah so uh i have no experience except my brother had that Jetta. It smelled like crayons. And <laughs> to that point, I was like, wow, I really want to golf. But all I could afford was a used Ford Escort. Uh, you know, and I was like, how am I ever going to get a girlfriend? My car's so lame. 
And then I uh, went for a ride with him. It smelled like crayons, and I was done. So, um, but you know, they're still attractive cars. Um, but I, you know, I heard the same thing, and I, I believe at a certain point, you know, he got to a certain mileage, and things started breaking one after the other. And uh, so, you know, he moved on to a Subaru. Hmm. But he had the same problem with that too. Subaru people Subaru are also. smelled like crayons. No, it just um, you know he was he's in sales and he was driving so much at a certain point, it was like okay one thing broke and then ten other things broke so, ditched that too. I think VW and Subaru are the two strongest lifestyle brands when it comes to like regular consumer cars. Obviously, you have lifestyle brands with like Ferrari or Lamborghini or Porsche or something like that, but. I feel like those are the two that are strongest at market on hmm. like an outdoorsy lifestyle for Subaru. Um, hmm. And then VW has their crowd. Now, right. of course, you have like the hardworking crowd. So you've got like the Chevy trucks or the Dodge Rams or anything like that. But um, yeah, that's interesting because we all perceive it very differently. I know why they, well, I know actually why the cars smelled like crayons. Oh, yeah. Because they were trying to mask the exhaust smell that was pouring out that from them cheating on their emissions. <laughs> oh my true. gosh. It's true. Great transition. Oh my gosh. Well, speaking of terrible emissions, 2019, they've got some the commercial for the ID series yeah. that includes our cute little bus. Oh yeah, the called buzz. The Buzz. And that commercial has a great soundtrack, Simon and Garfunkel, Sound yeah. of Silence. And Matt, you have told us about that commercial before. The engineer is at the office late, in the dark. Uh, the sound of silence is the soundtrack. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Very nice. Sorry, that's <laughs> not uh, very nice. I can actually sing, but that was not a good example. Well, there's sort of ambient footage of the scandal. Volkswagen today was accused of blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. You know, That's playing on the radio or something. Of thing. Yeah. Um, he decides to go down into the basement of the design studio or whatever. As he walks down the stairs, they light up. You know, He goes down to the basement where they keep all the files, and he finds the original <laughs> drawing. Do we have a basement like that, Steve? Can we go downstairs and There's open nothing up all the it. files? Yes. There is a basement in this building, but it's creepy. Um, <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Yeah, so he gets the drawing out, and uh, then the, the song builds, and there's that crescendo and this moment of redemption. He starts sketching, and then some some reason, um, you know, the first prototype, they're welding the car, so you see these zaps of light, and it's all being done in the dark. <laughs> Because robots weld in absolute pitch black darkness. <laughs> That's how it happens. So it's a triumphant return. And They're trying says, to be cinematic, man. Yes, yes. Well, that's great. Come on. They have to, yeah. So, uh, yes, I'm very cynical and about then, it. Yeah, but wait, wait. And yep, then yep. at the end of the welding, it's dark, and all of a sudden you see these cute little headlights, True. and this little bus emerges, and it looks like it's smiling at you, and it says, from the darkness comes the light. Yeah. BW. And now their slogan is drive bigger, which we're all a little unsure about because right. drivers wanted in the 90s was a great slogan. Yeah. Yeah. Drive bigger. I think bigger. maybe it means drive bigger change. Yeah. Like, bigger than yourself. That's the implication because it does, it transitions from drive something bigger than yourself to just drive bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So 
I mean, that's where we're at on. That's BW. the kind of story you have to tell after you've had a crisis. It's yeah. called crisis management. Mm-hmm. So good for them. Another rebirth. It'll be kind of exciting to see the mm-hmm. electric models rolling off the line. Yeah, um, they're trying to lead the charge toward. No pun intended. EV. That was oh, a good one. <laughs> trying to lead the charge. Oh, that was so good. Well, hopefully. Here's an idea, VW, if you're listening. I know you're not. But, um, hey, make the electric cars affordable. That's yeah. an idea. Mm-hmm. That's a big idea. Make it affordable. People will adopt it. All right. Well, hopefully that satiated your desire to talk about a Volkswagen. Um, I never want to speak about them again. (laughs) We'll think about this new format, see how it goes, and we'll go from there. We will talk to you guys again real soon. That's right. See you later. See ya. Peace. Yo, this is Frank. You should rate this podcast because, damn it, it's the best one in the nation. And look, if you want something a little lighter, you should go to 15.4 Studio on the Instagram. Check out our stories. Check out Workspace Wednesday. We think about the deeper meaning of objects that occupy the spaces on people's desks, the phenomenological impact of them. And, um, you know, we try and keep it fun and light and uh, just do it. Go. Go now. The Design of Experience is produced by 15.4, a creative agency located in Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland. Produced by Emily Wolf, engineered by Josh Frisch, with story and creative development by Matt DeVille and Steve Smallman.